Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So we're going to be in, uh, in Romans 12 this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them up to Romans 12. And we're going to start by just reading all of Romans 12 together. How does that sound? It's a little bit of a bigger chunk of scripture, but I think it is so important for our church at this time. All right, I'm going to read it for you. Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Serve the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12. What an amazing passage, amen? So practical. It's literally dripping with practical applications. You could take anything out of there, park on it for a week, dedicate yourself to trying it, and you would become better. Better member of the church, a better member of your family, your household, your workplace. The title of today's, member, uh, today's message is Devotion. We're going to focus on the biblical command to be devoted to one another, as we've seen here in this passage. And I'm going to highlight a few practical ways that I think we can apply this to our lives. But first, a very, very short background on the book of uh, Romans, and particularly this chapter. Uh, The passage was written to, not a trick question, to the Romans, of course, It's pretty self-explanatory. We've gotten way too carried away with book titles these days. Paul was just very... 
Which brings me to my next point, who was it written by? It was most likely written by Paul, uh, one of the apostles. Paul was a unique apostle. He didn't accompany Jesus during his earthly ministry. He was added to the gang much later on in his life, and he had a unique call to reach out to the Gentiles, which is why Paul was writing to the church in Rome. Church in Rome was one of those churches that Paul sought to strengthen with his life. So Paul wrote them, Actually, he wrote them in a time where the church was fractured. I I won't go into depth on this, uh, but when Paul was writing to them, there was division in the church amongst the Jews and the Gentiles in the community. There had been an edict passed by Claudius that had sent the Jews out of Rome, and when Paul was writing to them, the Jews had just recently gotten back, and now there was some quarreling starting to happen. And so he spends the first part of the book writing this beautiful theological work called Romans. It's just a wonder. Such a beautiful writing. And then in chapter 12, he now has a transition point where he's going to bring this knowledge into practice in the church. So our first point, offer our body to God. Romans 12 verse 1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So notice that the passage begins with a therefore. And when you get to a therefore, you have to pause and ask yourself, what's it there for? It's there for pointing you back to what was written ahead. Chapter 11, Paul was talking about the salvation of Israel and God's mercy to all people. And then he concludes this passage almost with a crescendo. It's like Paul has just been amped up. He's at three cups of coffee at Romans 11. He's just ripping through, and then he gets to this beautiful crescendo. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He's just like, can hardly contain himself. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has ever known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So Paul, in Romans chapter 12, is tremendously excited about God's mercy. I wonder, are we that excited about God's mercy? In the punctuation of our lives, is there exclamation points where we can barely contain ourselves because of our excitement at the goodness of God and his mercy, like Paul was? Another verse that came to my mind when I'm thinking about God's mercy, Lamentations chapter 3, one of my favorite passages. The steadfast love of God never ceases. I love this next phrase. His mercies never come to an end. You wonder, when is God going to stop showing mercy on me? His mercy never comes to an end. Amen? His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But Paul is urging us to do something about it. There's a response to God's mercy that he's looking for. And he says, therefore, I'm urging you. Paul is pleading with them, challenging them. I'm urging you to do something with this, brothers and sisters. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul was saying, in sense, we need to, in view of God's mercy, surrender and be willing to give the sacrifice Surrender and sacrifice. I want to focus in on one particular word in this opening passage. 
The NASB and the ESV translation, they focus in on this word, it's in NIV, it's offer. And in the other translations, it would be to present. It's the same word found in scripture when Moses was writing to the people and commanding them to bring a sacrifice. Bring a sacrifice, he says, present your sacrifice before the Lord. Whether it was a goat or a lamb or whatever it was, present it, offer a sacrifice. It's not a passive term. It's a choice that Paul is saying. Lay your life down on the altar because God is good. It's this choice that we make. Paul isn't saying, hey, brothers and sisters, please be available on standby. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, when you look at the mercy of God, when you get to know Jesus, don't put yourself on standby. I'm, uh, I'm ready whenever God calls. As good as that is, it's good to be ready. What Paul is saying here, he's using this word offer. He's using not a passive term. He's saying, I want you to offer. I want you to be willing. And I want to give you an example of this. So before I worked at church, I was in construction. And one of my favorite uh, times of my life was working construction with a good friend of mine and his dad at a company. And I learned many, many valuable life lessons working construction. And I want to share one of them with you to give you an example of this offer mentality. See, when I worked for them, I remember one time building a shed. Right? And, uh, you know, in today's day, like, that's, wood is so expensive. Um, I can't even believe it. It was like a gold mine, what what I was working with back then. Um, but we were building this shed, and there was all these stacks of lumber all around. And I remember I was pretty new at that point working this job, um, and my boss said something to me. He just, he wasn't upset with me. It was just a, I'm going to give you a tip, just something, a mindset that I want you to have on the job. I said, okay, what is it? He said, I want you to not wait for me to tell you what to do. I want to find you doing something. So, for example, he said, I don't want to find you sitting on this stack of aspenite, which aspenite is a piece of wood. It's very expensive right now. Um, I don't want you sitting on this thing. I, I want you, even if it's sweeping, I'd rather find you sweeping on the job site than sitting. See, when, when you run out of things to do, you have two options, he said. Option number one, grab a broom or start walking around finding garbage. I mean, even stack the lumber, like make it look even prettier. Anything to just avoid just sitting idle. But you could also just come and ask me what to do. And that's the offer mentality. See, in the church, we're not meant to just be on standby waiting for Jesus. When he comes back, he finds us just sitting. He goes, I'd rather you just be doing something. Do something in faith. Do something to build someone else up. Do something to edify yourself rather than just sitting. And so it's not salvation by works. Don't get me wrong. This is not salvation. But this is a heart that God is looking for is the offer mentality where we're not being passive. We're asking him, Lord, what could I do? What could I be doing in my workplace? What could I be doing with my family? Lord, what should I do with this hard situation? And we ask him, and we seek that advice. Or we just start doing the works that we know that we can. That we, there's no question on, is it a good thing to encourage my friend today? Yes, do it. Is it a good thing to be in prayer today? Yes, we don't have to ask. We can offer, and we can just do those things that we know we can. 
Romans 12, 11 says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so we're going to pause now, right at the beginning of this message, for a little bit of a practical. I want you guys to actually be able to, and me too, sit and think about this for a second. So the question that I have for you is, are you offering yourself to God? Are you presenting yourself to God, or are you just waiting around for instruction? Oh, yeah, like, I'll be ready when God has a big thing for me. But in the meantime, you know, I'll just kick it back and relax a little bit. Or are we looking to do small things in a great way? Being offering, uh, being presenting ourselves to the Lord. Number one, has your relationship with Christ become passive in any way? And number two, do you find yourself uh, resisting him in any area of your life? Maybe he's given you your next step. Maybe you've gone to him and said, Lord, what should I do? But now you're just lingering. You're not getting to it. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time right now in reflection. Pull out your journals if you have them or your phone, wherever you want to record this. But we're going to ask God these two questions and spend a little bit of time in reflection on them. All right, that's all the time I'm going to give you now. Now Some of you are like, what? That was like nothing. I know. If you're watching from home, feel free to pause. You can carry on. Those of you in here, I'm really sorry, but the train's got to keep moving. Okay, you can take that into your devotions, though. I think those are really important questions to be asking. It's the state and the posture of our heart. All right, now on to the second point. First was to offer our bodies to God, and the second is to offer our lives to one another. See, I think point number one makes sense for the most part, right? We get devotion to God. We've, if we haven't heard that yet, uh, you haven't really read much of the Bible. It's all about offering ourselves to God. And we talk about that lots here. So we get that. We get devotion to God. But now I want to switch from offer your bodies, which is Paul saying your individual bodies. You offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. I want to switch gears because Paul, he, he continues with a change of perspective. Moving from uh, Romans 12, 1 now to verses 4 and 5, he says, For just as each of us has one body, which is the singular, that's us, that's the one that we're offering to God as a holy and pleasing sacrifice. Just as we have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, plural. He's He's speaking of the church now. And each member belongs to the others. There's another body that we must offer to God. That's the church body. And that's what we're going to focus on for the rest of this service. We belong to each other. That's the language that Paul used. Paul used devotion not only to Christ, but he said that we belong to each other which is radical. That same sort of feeling for a family unit. My wife and, my, and our four amazing boys, we, we belong to each other. We get that. We're a unit. Paul says that now in Christ, we, the body of Christ, we belong to each other. I think that's a radical thought. As in, it's not only your faith alone, it belongs to the body. As in, they're not just your gifts alone, They belong to the body. It's not just your time or your energy or your resources. It belongs to the body. That's what Christ, or that's what Paul is saying here. Pastor Lauren took us through an amazing mini-series on on the identity of Christ 
our, our, our identity in Christ, sorry, and how incredible was that? That was awesome. I, I know that that is something that I aim to routinely think about is my identity in Christ. I am a new creation. However, we can't only talk about belonging to God. That's so we in Christ, Paul says. We in Christ, we, we can't only just focus on our identity in Christ or belonging to him without talking about belonging to each other. We can't talk just about our identity in Christ without also identifying with each other. Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 4, listen to this passage. Paul often wrote about the body. It's in many of his epistles. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. That's the church he's talking about. Christ gave us these things. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body, plural again, not just, not just our body, but the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now skipping ahead to verse 15 in Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ for from him the whole body is joined together and held together by every supporting ligament and it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here Paul is saying we are the body of Christ. We are the church and he is the head. And you see the head, that's where we get our identity from. That's in the mornings when we spend time with Christ. And he says, son or daughter, you are loved you are valuable. You are precious. You are not the way that you once were. We get our identity from the head, but we identify with the body, which is each other. We come into this place and we know that we are knit together by Christ himself and held together by his power. But that can be really hard to do, belonging to each other in that intensive a way, right? That can be really difficult as the church to do because... If you didn't know, we are definitely not perfect. I am definitely not perfect. If you hang out with me for any length of time, you will see that I am not perfect. If you want further like, uh, you know, clarification on that, my wife would be more than willing to talk to you about my imperfections. Um, that I know. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We don't like that, but it is what it is. And I want to give you an example. It's marriage. Isn't it true that we know this in other areas of our lives? So hang in with me for one second, but I say this to couples all the time at their weddings. I love officiating weddings. I say it's interesting to me that on your wedding day, you are going to say some of the biggest, craziest promises you will ever say to each other in your entire lives. You are going to set that bar so high, like no one on their wedding day goes, I promise to be a mediocre husband. And I promise to casually, you know, approach the dishes sometimes. No one says that. You go, when you're up there on your wedding day, isn't it true that couples say some of the most audacious things to each other? I pledge my entire life to loving you. And I, I will, you know, serve you always and never get mad at you. And whenever you're sad, I'll know exactly what to say. <laughs> right? That's what we say. And we should. Because a wedding would be really awkward if it was the other way. <laughs> so couples make these promises. 
the biggest ones they'll ever make, but what strikes me as interesting is they have the least amount of experience to actually pull that off. I'd have a better chance if I was up there, hang on, let me just quickly renew my vows. I'd have a better shot at it, because I have nine years. Okay, I know that's not a lot. Some of you have a lot more than that, but they have no experience at all. Like, literally, they are rookies. They don't even know what they're saying. It's awesome. I love it. But they make these big promises, and we get it. Couples understand. You're sharing what your intent is. Right? You're sharing my intention is to live the type of life where I will work towards these goals with humility. And the other person receiving them is saying, and I will forgive you when you fall short. That's a Christian marriage. So we get that. And it would be the same in the church. We say covenants like this and we pledge ourselves to one another. We have the newbies maybe joining in a few months. They have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea how imperfect or how imperfect they will be or we will be. And we all get it. We're going to let each other down. Amen? But we are the church. And we don't lower the bar for each other. We keep the bar up. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we live that out to the best of our abilities and we forgive each other when we don't. Because that's what we do. So now we're going to look at uh, the last portion of our message now. Romans 12, 9 to 10, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. So I want to end this by comparing two sorts of devotions, because that's the title of today's message. I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but it's devotion. Yes! They have a sign. Yes! The D house is here with a sign. I thought that you were joking, Brock, but I should have known better. They literally have a sign like this is a sports game. I love it. Thank you. Wow, I feel great. Okay, we're going to compare personal devotions with corporate devotions. Be devoted to one another in love. We use the term devotions or devos quite a lot here at this church. If you've been around for any length of time, you've probably heard someone talking about their devos. How are your devotions? What do we actually mean by that? That's a really good question. Most of the time, it's the habit of spending time with Jesus. How have your devotions been? As in, we're asking, how was your time with Jesus? How was your time with him? We call them devotions, at least I suspect we do, because they help us to devote our lives fully to Jesus. They are spiritual practices that help us to live a devoted life to Christ. That's why I think we call them devotions. At least that's what I'm going with. But did you know that just like there are personal devotions for growing in a relationship with Christ, the Bible also says that there are corporate devotions. These would be the things, the spiritual practices, that help us devote ourselves to one another. And so now we're going to look at lists. I love making lists. And so we're going to look at two lists. We're going to fly through the first one for sake of time. But the first one is personal devotions, okay? We're going to breeze through these, but I think that they should be fairly familiar to us. So personal devotions. What are these spiritual practices that help us devote ourselves to Christ? Well, the first one would be time in the Word, right? Hebrews 5.14 says, by constant, uh, but 
but solid food is for the mature, he's speaking of the word, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Constant use, not mediocre use, not casual use. He's saying constant use. We use this book to distinguish what is good and evil, and we also use it to abide in Christ. That's pretty straightforward. We spend time in the word. The second one, memorization. That's taking the word and now hiding it in our hearts. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the beautiful psalm. You should read through all of Psalm 119, actually. It's just about the word of God and how magnificent it is. But we take memorization, we hide these truths into our heart, and we can take it with us wherever we go. It's even better than the Bible app on your phone. It's with you wherever, whenever. And I've had times where I'm, uh, you know, I can be out working on the yard and suddenly I'm thinking to myself, one of my favorite passages I've memorized, Hebrews 12, verse one to three. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. I say those words to myself whether it's internally or sometimes out loud, often, oftentimes. I was saying them this morning, in fact. Memorization. Then there's next, there's prayer. Well, there's so many different types of prayer. I don't have a Bible verse for each, but there's praise, intercession, confession, thanksgiving, discernment and guidance, journaling. Regularly, when I spend time with Jesus, this is a habit that I formed in my life many, many years ago, I'll journal my prayers to him. Well, show me journaling in the Bible. Is that, do I actually have to do it? No, you don't have to do it. You get to do it. Because it's awesome. And it helps you. Because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes in the morning, I wake up and my mind is just here, there, and everywhere. And it's hard for me to focus. But when I pull up my pen, a piece of paper, and I start writing, my prayers feel tangible. Like I can see them. And I stay focused. I love journaling. Some of my greatest prayer times, some of the, the dearest things that Jesus has spoken to me are recorded for me to remember. I love it. So prayer is part of how we personally devote ourselves to Jesus. Fasting is another way. Jesus talked about fasting. He talked about, he warned us in Matthew chapter 6 not to fast in such a way as to draw attention to ourselves, intentionally you know, making ourselves look all disheveled so that people will notice and, oh, they're really spiritual and fasting. But fasting, on the other hand, he said, is a very private matter between the Lord and and a person. Yes, there's corporate fasting, which uh, for sure is there, but when you have something big going on in your life, when there is a challenge that you just don't know what to do with, when there is a season of suffering where you just don't know where to turn, do you ever stop and fast? And go, Lord, every time that my stomach growls, it reminds me, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's this built-in alarm clock inside of us that reminds us of our need for God. If you withhold food from it for a couple hours, the body just starts whining. At least mine does. Um, I I suspect I'll hit that point halfway through the 11 o'clock where it will begin whining. Um, But it's a built-in program that God has given us to remind us of our need for him. We're so frail. Fasting is a beautiful thing to grow in your relationship with God. And then last, study. 
Study would be reading good books. They never replace the Bible. Never. But there's good books out there that you can read. There's good things that you can study, papers that you can read. And this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I had many wonderful times reading articles, reading segments of books, and then I'm personally reading through a book right now on martyrdom and the Great Commission. It's just fire, by the way. It's amazing. Fire, by, if you don't know what that means, it means it's very good. Okay? You are confused. It's fire. It's dangerous. No, it's really exciting and good. Um, and I read, after I've spent time with the Lord in the Word, I read good books to just fuel that fire and bring it to life. So those right there are a couple simple ways that we grow in our personal relationship, in in our relationship with Jesus. We get that, right? They're spiritual practices. These are the practices that we commit to in order to grow in our devotion to God. But now, how we are going to conclude this message, I want to look at and spend more time on the corporate devotions. You know what I would love is when we continue to ask each other this question, how are your devos going? Let's share devos. I would love it if we would begin sharing right away our personal and our corporate devos. What's God working on us in? These spiritual gifts. And so uh, let's, let's look through another list of these. Starting with serving. Serving or in brackets I put spiritual gifts. And you'll notice that when Paul writes about the body in many of his writings, he's often tying it together with this idea of spiritual gifts. He said, we are one body with many members, and each has a gift given by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read to you uh, that little segment here. I paraphrased it, but I actually intended to read it to you. It says, we have different gifts according, this is in Romans chapter 12, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Paul is saying here that a corporate devotion that we must practice is using our gifts to build up the body. 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Notice it says that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Two things that I want to point out here. He says you have received them. These aren't gifts that we manufacture. These aren't leadership principles that we fine-tune in our lives. What Paul is talking about here, this type of serving is the gifts of the Spirit given by God to build up and equip the body. They are spiritual gifts that we received And then he said, be faithful stewards of God's grace in its its various forms. The gifts that God gave his church are our grace. They are our grace to each other. As in, you alone and I alone don't have what it takes to be a part of this family. But God in his infinite grace decided to do something about that. And he gave us this spiritual tool belt the gifts of the Spirit for us to build up the body. Spiritual gifts are a corporate devotion and I hope that we never put them on a shelf. You don't want the best of me. You want the best of God in this church. Just like I don't want the best of you, I want the best of God and we show each other grace in it. All right, next point. Sharing with those in need. 
Romans 12. We're working primarily through Romans 12, but I will sprinkle in other passages as well. Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. This is a corporate discipline that we have. We are commanded to share with those in need. Well, what are we sharing? Well, elsewhere in the New Testament, in 1 John, it talks about material possessions. We share with each other. When one of us needs help, the church is about helping people and sharing. And again, I would say, we don't do that just only on standby. There's sometimes strategic benefit to collecting hampers and using the distribution center, which I love, by the way, that our church gets to do that. I love that we get to help people. But I would also say, be looking. Be looking, offering yourself to God. So when you see needs around you, when you see people going through hard times, bring them a meal. Ask them how you can help. Find ways to show the love of God by sharing with those in need. The next one, hospitality. Romans 12, 13 again. It says, very simple, I love verses like this, practice hospitality. Well, I wonder what that passage means. I should really, oh, it just means practice hospitality. That's my kind of verse. I love that. How practical. How do we do that, though? I know that right now, hospitality might look a little bit different. It's not impossible, but it might look a little bit different. You know, I was reflecting on this point, and I thought of a a scene from the new TV series, The Chosen. Has anyone seen The Chosen? Yes. It's a TV series on the life of Jesus. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's definitely uh, looking at it from a different angle. But there's this one scene where Jesus is packing up his camp, and he gets the guys to go and chop a bunch of firewood. Like they lived kind of out in the middle of nowhere in the field and they had the, these portable camps that Jesus was moving along uh, through Israel and, and doing his ministry in. So he gets the guys to go and cut a bunch of firewood and they bring it back and they go, okay, we've got enough firewood. And he goes, great, we're leaving. And they're like, what? And Jesus says it's to practice hospitality so that our next guest who comes upon this spot will have firewood for him. And I loved that thought. Hospitality is not only having people in your home. It's not only having people in your home. You can be hospitable at the store. You can be hospitable at work. You can be hospitable on a walk. If the whole world belongs to God, then our job is to be his greeters. To bring the flavor of Christ to wherever we go, spreading encouragement being kind. You know, it could be as simple as when you're on a walk, maybe, okay, it's not like it's bad if you don't say hi to people. Sometimes I get in that mode too where I'm like, I'm on a walk and you're power walking and you don't stop to say hi to anyone. Uh, But I'd encourage you, when you're out and about and you pass someone, say hi to them. Say, have a great day. Something like that. And you're like, that sounds really weird. I know but I bet you anything they won't get mad at you. If they do, write me an email and I will apologize to you. But people usually aren't thrown off by a cheerful person going, hey, have a great day. It actually probably makes them feel good inside them. We can carry around the spirit of hospitality wherever we go. And of course, you can use your home and your possessions as well. I know that it's different right now, but if we're willing to work at it, If we're willing to look for how can we do this 
right now, we'll find ways to be hospitable. All right, next is forgiveness and reconciliation. This one's a really, really big one. Jesus in Matthew 6, 15, he talks about if we are unwilling to forgive, then we won't be forgiven. I know that forgiveness can be difficult because it's, you've been hurt in some way. Of course it's difficult. But listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ forgave you. See, that's the whole point. Jesus talked about this often in the Gospels. Dealing with the matter of forgiveness, we must first and foremost think of what we have been forgiven from. Amen? When we view forgiveness through the lens of the cross, we see that we understand why Jesus commanded it, that it must be done, that we must be people who choose to forgive. I love it how Corey Ten Boom says it. She says, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out that the prisoner was me. I'll say that one more time. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out that the prisoner was me. Corey Tamboom, if you don't know, was a Holocaust survivor. She faced horrible things, but she learned this amazing lesson about forgiveness that it's not just forgiving someone else and setting them free, it sets you free from being captive to bitterness. And so this is how we devote ourselves to one another, by having this ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation. Remember how I said that when you join the family, the body? I can guarantee you that we will hurt each other. And I'm not asking you to just sweep it under the rug in any of your relationships. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, are you willing to say, Jesus, help me to work through forgiveness? Help me even when it hurts. Are we willing to do that? Because it's our job as the church. Hebrews 12, I won't read this whole passage, but Hebrews 12, 14 to 15, it, it warns us against not letting any bitter root grow up that would defile many. See, our bitterness doesn't just affect our lives. Hebrews is saying it affects others as well. It defiles many, the bitterness that we carry around. So if you are hurting, if you have bitterness, if you are struggling through unforgiveness, then talk to someone about it. Bring it to Jesus. Go to a trusted friend. And let's start talking about it and supporting each other in it. All right, the next one, rejoicing and mourning. Rejoicing and mourning. This is a devotion that Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we should have in the church. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And right away my mind thought again of the ministry of the church, weddings and funerals. We do this. This is the ministry of the church. We celebrate with a couple on their wedding day. We rejoice with them. We cherish the good times with them but we also mourn with the widow on the funeral day. That's maybe said a goodbye that felt much too soon. It's not just, oh, that family's hurting. Paul says elsewhere, he says, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. Yesterday I was doing some renovations, pulling down some boards that had nails on them, and I stabbed myself in the stomach. Don't worry, I'm all right. 
But it was a pretty, like, it was, and I was frustrated because it wasn't going the way that I wanted it to. I know, honey. It was bad. I was frustrated. But I yanked this top plate off, and this nail stabbed me. And it wasn't just like, my brain wasn't like, oh, poor stomach. Shoot, things happen, I guess. My, my head was like, ow, that hurt, because the body is one. When one part gets hurt, we all hurt. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. And we're together as a family. I'd rather do it together than alone. Next point, I mushed uh, uh, three of them together because I just, I wanted 10 points. That felt better to me. So honor, encourage, and admonish. You know that there is one command in the Bible that actually promotes godly competition. Put it that way. I enjoy godly competition. And it says this. If you read uh, Romans 12, verse 10 in the ESV translation, I love how it, how it uh, translated. It says, outdo one another by showing honor. Outdo one another. So the game is on. We are to outdo one another. That is, we are to... Walk around and go. It's not just about, oh, I'd love a compliment today. We come to church, we want to outdo one another with compliments, with honoring each other. Honor in a broad sense is to treat someone with respect by acknowledging their worth, their value, their gifts. In terms of one another, we're all made in the image of God. And within the church, we have been made a new creation. So when we honor someone, we are honoring God. That person is made in the image of God. This I know that the Bible says we are to honor God. Is that true? We are to honor God. And within the church, this I know that we are to honor one another. Why? Well, not just if you're amazing or if you have, you know, if you have amazing accolades for yourself. We honor one another because we are made in the image of God. We've been redeemed and we are a new creation in Christ. And so we honor one another by treating each other the way that we would want to be treated ourselves. Then also, encourage and admonish. First, First Corinthians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Teaching is sharing the message of Christ, what Jesus is doing in your life. He's, he's not asking us to, you know, all right, so I should go home and prepare a sermon. I mean, if that kind of thing would get you fired up, then maybe, but... I don't think that your friend would probably enjoy, hey, do you have an hour for me to preach a sermon at you? What it's talking about is let the message of Christ, what Jesus is speaking to you about, what he's showing you in his word, what he's encouraging you through, the things, the anchors that have been for you in your storms, share them with someone else who's going through a storm. Teach and admonish. Admonish means we can correct each other at times too. We can call each other, not just call each other out, but call each other up. Hey, let's do this together. Let's represent Christ well. Let's be good ambassadors. Let's be the church, the light on a hill together. And that will require admonishing at times. Done in gentleness with respect. Honor, encourage, and admonish. All right, you guys doing okay? Got 10 minutes. We got a few more. We're going to breeze through here. Next one, not showing favoritism. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not become conceited. Do you treat some as more valuable or worthy of your time than others? 
James also warns strongly against this in the church. He says, let there never be a spirit of favoritism where someone with a fine robe, which maybe would be like a suit jacket, I don't know, uh, but someone with, you know, who looks like they have everything together, you would give them the place of honor. But someone who doesn't, you would give them the back seat. That's, that's the command within the church gathering, but what about in our lives? Do we treat some people as more worth our time than others? We devote, each other, we devote ourselves to each other by refusing to show favoritism. Corporate, worship, and prayer. James 5.13 says it this way. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. I didn't tell this person I was going to say this, but I want to highlight one person and publicly honor one person, and that is Al Taves on property. You know what I love the most about Al? I always knew where he was in the building. First, that didn't startle me. That was nice. But you know what I loved hearing? I loved hearing the worship. I called him the joyful janitor every Tuesday night for many years. I would be leading cell with my wife and Al would be out in the hallways and I could hear him. I love you, Al. Um, That is being the church and that's corporate worship. If anyone is happy, let them sing. We come together and we sing these songs. It's not just fun and games. These are real spiritual practices that God has given us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this. It is the voice of the church that is heard when singing together. It is not you that sings, it is the church that is singing, and you, as a member of the church, may share in its song. Sit on that for a little while and think about it. It's not just about you. Ah, singing's not my favorite. We don't just sing for ourselves, it's the song of the church, and we're invited to participate in it. It's amazing. And prayer, we celebrate prayer every month as a church by gathering for prayer and worship at our prayer summits. Stefan's been doing a wonderful job at leading us through those. I've so admired it. But that's our chance. That's our piece, prayer summits, where we come together as a church and we worship and pray. All right, two more. Confession, James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Confessing your sins to each other, yes, first we bring our sins to God. God is the one who cleanses us, but we do that together. Scripture says, confess your sins to each other. That will require a measure of vulnerability. You know, the thing about vulnerability is, is it ceases to become vulnerable if I force you to do it. It's not vulnerability anymore. Then it's, you're being forced to share something that you don't really want, and that doesn't feel good but you are again being invited in the church to bear your burdens, or to bear one another's burdens, sorry, and to be who you truly are. You can admit, this is an area that I need to grow in. We confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. A line that has often stuck with me is, what if the church wasn't a place where you had to come and have it all together? But what if the church was a place you could come and know that we were all in it together? What if there was a community where you could share the worst of you and you wouldn't be judged or outcasted or set aside, but rather would be brother or sister, let's take this to the Lord. There is one who can clean these stains. We get to have the ministry of praying together, confessing our sins and being healed, James says. 
What a privilege. And last, communion. The act of taking the Lord's Supper. I won't read the entire passage, it's quite long, but 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 33, Paul writes to the church of Corinth about the Lord's Supper. And I would invite you to go and read that passage. It's interesting how many warnings Paul gives. Usually when something is very precious, you give a lot of rules, right? You give a lot of caveats when something needs to be handled with a lot of care. I do that with my kids all the time. All right, I'm just going to go into the backyard for one second. You're in charge of your brother, okay? No putting him in the dishwasher, okay? No putting him in, you know, something else that's dangerous. You know, you give these important caveats because you're, I'm entrusting you with this little guy just for a second, okay? But what Paul is writing here, he writes so many warnings, Because the Lord's Supper is sacred. It is an act of remembrance within the body of Christ that we remember the words of Christ together and what those words symbolize. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. He writes in 1 Corinthians, whoever takes or whoever partakes in an unworthy manner, Paul writes about an unworthy manner of taking the Lord's Supper, He says that there could be dire consequences. He even says that some of you have fallen asleep, meaning dead. Whoa. Because of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Now I want to ask you something. If there are consequences for taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, then what do you think the consequences are of not taking it at all? Is there blessings to taking the Lord's Supper? I believe so. I believe that it's an act of remembrance. And there's warnings to not take it in an unworthy manner. But what if you don't take it at all? And here's my encouragement to you. Every month, we take the Lord's Supper together at our prayer summits. I'm not saying this to be judgmental, but perhaps you haven't made it to a prayer summit because of the pandemic. Would you consider coming? When's the last time you had the Lord's Supper? What are you being robbed of in your life? Just a thought to leave you with. Those, that's a short uh, list of 10. Those are the corporate practices that we commit to in order to growing in devotion to one another. Church, we need to grow in devotion to one another. We need to run this race together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now. And I want to leave you with a question. So how have your devotions been doing lately? Your private and your corporate devotions. How are they doing? I want to give you a weekly challenge. Here's something where you, I want you to take this into your week if you want it. This is an opportunity to grow. I want you to spend one devotional time this week reading through Romans 12. I know we've read it together, but like I said, it's just so rich. It's low-hanging fruit. There's so much in there. Or read any of the other passages that we've talked about here in this sermon. Take it into your devotional times. Is there an area that you feel the Lord asking you to grow in? Maybe it's in the first camp. Maybe it's offering your body to God. That's step number one. 
If we want to be devoted to each other, we need to first be devoted to Christ. Maybe there's a step that God is asking you or prompting you to take. Perhaps it's even come up in your mind as as I've been sharing. Is there a step that you need to take this week? One way that you could grow. Do yourself a favor. Make it practical. If your step is, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this week. Wow. I hope you have vacation time because that's going to take a while. But make it attainable. What if it was as simple as starting a Bible reading plan? Committing to reading God's word every day and journaling what he's showing you through his word. What's a step that you could take? And then lastly, we are talking about being the church after all. Would you share this with someone? Maybe it's in your cell group. Or if you're not in one, we'd love to hear from you. Dana and Mark would love to have you join theirs. Maybe it's in a cell or maybe it's with a friend or a coworker or a spouse. But I would challenge us church to boldly go before God to lay ourselves down, to lay our lives down on that altar and say, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do for my brothers and sisters? How can I love the church in this time? How can I build up the body? I'm going to pray. Father, thank you that you love the body. I guess that's why you called it your wife. How precious it is to you. We're a community of people knit together under the banner of Christ. Misfits, outcasts, the have-nots. Thank you that you wash us clean, Father. I pray now that you would bind us together by the power of your spirit to equip, to build up the church in these times. Let's devote our, this time to God by singing together. I'd invite you to stand. We're going to sing another song of worship. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.